Good evening. Oh, now we're on. <laughs> good, uh, good crowd out this evening. Thank you for coming back as we spend our time in, time in worship unto the God of heaven as, you, as we do on this occasion. And you will hopefully notice this evening, I didn't ask Bobby, but the last song does tend to go with our lesson in some extent, and you'll notice hopefully here in a little bit as we get through it. This evening we want to begin with a passage that is familiar to every one of us. They don't make any difference how many times you've heard this passage read or how many times you hear sermons from it. You, I have found that you never tend to grow tired of it because you can learn so much from these four verses. We're going to look at Titus chapter 2 and the familiar verses are 11 through 14, which says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for Good works. One of the things these verses ought to do to every child of God is to bring, as it were, to a mind and enthusiasm, as it were, for being a child of God. When you look at what is being taught here, it is teaching, it is teaching something which we understand in the physical world. We all remember when the little baby started walking, they'd taken them first steps. They're uneasy at first, and they wobble and walk around like someone, a little fellow that's drunk, so to speak, till they get the hang of it. And once they do, they can outrun Flash. <laughs> you know, when you've been to the department store and watched one of them get away, they can outrun Flash. But what the, is the enthusiasm is, not only for the child, but the parent as well, of realizing, my child is now have learned to walk. He's now able to be mobile and move on his own. He's part of that steps of maturing and growing as he should, as through that babyhood, learning how to walk. And the enthusiasm behind it is not the same thing with a Christian life. Are we not to be enthusiastic as we start off with baby steps, as it were, trying to get understanding, trying to grow as a child of God? But in that enthusiasm needs to continue all the way through the rest of the days of our lives. Not just in the baby steps, but every step we take every day living in this world and discovering each day what are the great benefits that we're receiving as being a child of God. The fact that God takes care of us. Praying to God and thank Him that He has seen us through a particular day. And each day there may be an excitement that brings about the fact that living as a child of God we may be able to influence someone else as well, but just simply living that life, whether we say anything to them or not. Let's look at the challenges. Let's look at what this verse is trying to produce to us this evening. The first thing we want to learn from this, it tells us to step beneath the grace of God and in the shadow of a cross, verse 11 and verse 14. Grace defined as we all know, most people would say it is God's unmerited favor, which is probably the most common definition, the most understood that we can think of that defines God's grace. You could also look at it as being His redemptive mercy, His kindness 
or even His good will toward man. Notice in that it tells us here that grace is universal. That it has appeared bringing salvation, it says, to all people. That is, every human being has the opportunity, has the ability to step beneath this umbrella of love and grace and mercy and redemption. That everyone has the opportunity to become a child of God. But there's something we must remember. In order to be able to step under this umbrella of grace, it must be done in faith and humble obedience. God will not bestow His grace on the proud. He will not bestow His grace on the unbelieving. He will not bestow His grace on the disobedient. And He will not bestow to those who are rebellious. In order to be able, all men have the opportunity to step beneath it, but it must be done in faith and obedience. Titus 12, as it says, that God's grace teaches. How does it teach? We learn from Acts 14 and verse 3, the answer there when it talks about the word of His grace. That is, that which the apostles boldly spoke as they began the church and moving forward throughout the streets of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and so forth. What did they preach? They preached the word of grace. They taught people what must be done to become a child of God. They taught about the marvels of God's grace. And they taught us how we would be able to step beneath that umbrella of God's grace by hearing that word which they preached, responding to it with a believing and obeying part on our behalf results of listening to it we're all familiar with the fact that God's grace has what we call two sides the divine side which is God himself who sent his son his son shed his blood the spirit's part of this he gave us the word he gave us the understanding of God's grace he gave us the ability to know how to step beneath the umbrella of God's grace our side is what? hearing that gospel of grace. Understanding what it's teaching us to become a child of God. Responding to it. And once doing so, living our life in obedience to it as a child of His from that day to the end of our lives. This is what ought to make us exceeding glad. This ought to make us happy. Do we not realize what the grace, what this really means? The grace of God, which is bringing salvation to everyone, is no small blessing. God has poured out His heart. He has poured out His love when He gave His Son to die for us on Calvary and shed that precious blood to the lost. Once they discover this marvelous grace of God, once they discover what can be done to become a child of God, and once they understand what it means to live as a child of God and the blessings thereof, and they become a child of God, there is a joy and enthusiasm which cannot be understood fully because they realize God's grace through His marvelous Word and obedience to it have their past life buried and carried away. But at the same time, to a child of God, there is the joy of knowing that as we live as a child of God, when we stray from the truth, that that God's grace will do what? Will forgive us when we ask God for His forgiveness and it will restore us back to a rightful place as we should be walking on that narrow pathway that leads to heaven. That once we have become a child of God and we stray, we know we can ask God's grace for help. Forgive me, strengthen me, help me. And it will do that very thing. Through His marvelous Word, we learn all these things. So we must ask ourselves tonight, 
Have we stepped beneath the umbrella of God's grace? Are we standing in the shadow of the cross? And I'll add to that one, are we standing by the shadow of the cross in faith and obedience? Let's look at the next challenge this verse is present to us. And the next challenge is, no, are we to step beneath the, beneath the umbrella of God's grace? The next thing, we are to step away from ungodliness and worldly lust, the first part of verse 12. The hardest thing for anyone to become a child of God as they listen to what must be done to become a child of God, is the hardest challenge in many to become one, and the hardest thing for one to continue living as a child of God, is stepping away from sinful practices and habits. It is hard. We have said it before and we'll say it again. Repentance is the hardest step of what necessary to become a child of God. And for a lot of people, it's hard to give up those things they've been doing. Those things that they seem to enjoy, it is hard to give up. And while we remind ourselves and need to remind ourselves, even though, yes, repentance is one of the steps to become a child of God, it is not a one-time thing. Even as a child of God, we spend the rest of our life every day asking God to forgive me, help me, strengthen me, guide me, strengthen me to keep me from going back to things which I know are not right. As we grow in Christ, we learn that. As we grow in Christ, we learn to be able to distinguish truth from error. As we grow in Christ, we're able to distinguish righteousness from sinfulness. And we discover within ourselves, through the Word of God, the things that we need to learn to give up, to ask God's strength to overcome. And the fruit of that repentance, the fruit of that is seen in our willingness that we have stepped apart from that ungodliness and worldly lust. And every time, as a child of God, that we resist, every time a temptation is thrown to us and we refuse to yield to it, there ought to be within us a thrilling sense of accomplishment. For that moment, when Satan tried to destroy me, I said no. I would not yield to it. It has him on the excitement knowing that we've been able to stop him. For that moment of time, we've overcome him. We have stayed faithful to our God. Because we don't want to go back and be shackled to the life of sin again. But we need to also remind ourselves we can't please God and not step away from sin. What did Romans 6 begin by saying? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, by no means, absolutely not. How can we die to sin, he says, to continue living in it? How can we? We talked about this morning, we can't serve two masters. It's still true in this. We need to remind ourselves, and and the fact is that when we need to learn to step away from these things, we illustrate it this way. We all understand this. Stand on the edge of a cliff. Your feet begin to slip. What's the first thing your mind tells you to do? Get away from the edge and get back to what? Safe ground. Is that still not also the same thing true in our spiritual life? 
that when we find ourselves almost yielding to sin, that we're slipping over that edge, that we listen to the Word of God, we listen to His instruction, we listen to His plea to step away from those activities and attitudes which we should not be involved in because we're children of God. And we said this morning, we'll say it again, there is no third road to heaven made up of the narrow and the broad. There is not one. So once again, we've got to remind ourselves, don't be deceived into thinking that we can keep one foot in sin and one in the world at the same time. It does not and will not work. The grace of God, which has appeared to all men, has taught us to do what? To deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Why? These things are not good for us. They're not going to help us. They're going to ruin us not help us. The next challenge is, is to step up to what we call a higher plane of living, the second part of that same verse 12. Look at the three things there that the writer writes about here. Paul simply says this, to be self-controlled. We all understand that one. In this case, he is talking about controlling ourselves and our passions and our desires. Can others help you Yes. They can help you, they can plead, they can work with you to keep you from involving yourself in something that's not right, but who ultimately has the decision to stop you from doing something? Me and you, ourselves. Self-control. He's saying, wait a minute, whoa, stop, let's look. Is this good or is this not good? The second one he talks about is living an upright life. We realize simply what it means. We're talking about living a right, a life that is right. We would call it living in righteousness, if you please. A life that is in harmony with God's will. A life that whatever God has asked of that life to do, it will do it. Because God says to me, here's things I want you to do. And that life says, I want to walk with God, I'll do it. And to live godly. We might say simply this means a life that is characterized by what? A Godward attitude. We've talked about it in the last several weeks on the gospel, I mean the epistle of 1 John. As John, even Christ said himself, part of that means what? Fear God and keep His commandments. I mean by being Godward. And there's many, many scriptures we could go on for a long time who support the idea and the understanding of what it means to live by a higher standard of living when we become a child of God in the world around us. One of the best is 1 Timothy 4 and 8, which simply says this, bodily training is of some value. But listen, godliness is of value in every way. Why? as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The little child say, whoa, do you realize what that just said? That is powerful. Not only is it helpful, God is as helpful for this life that we're living right now, but it is helpful for us to have eternity with God for from now on. What a blessed promise. No wonder the Bible teaches us to live the godly life. 
It prepares us for the life hereafter. The prospects of what we can become, the prospects of what we can be with the help of God Almighty that we can walk our higher plane, our higher way of life, all to bring an excitement and a joy to every child of God. I can live above this world. I don't have to live like it. I can live above it. With the help of God, I can succeed. Paul writing to his brethren at Corinth, this time in the 6th chapter, in verses 9 through 11, he says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In the midst of the problems this congregation had that Paul had to deal with one right after another, he stops and gives another one of his lists of what we call ungodly living, similar to what's found in Galatians 5. But notice as he lists there again, he says like the other place, those will do these things not here at the kingdom of God, but such were some of you. What happened? They stepped up to a higher plane of living when they obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ and said to the world and to everyone else, I want to follow my God. So Paul praised him and said, Such were some of you. You were washed in the blood of Christ when you were buried in baptism. You raised of all that new life in the name of Jesus Christ and by His Spirit. In that sense, he means simply this, through the Word when they obeyed it. We can step up to a higher plane. We've been called by this gospel to a higher ground of life. We don't have to be like the world around us. We don't have to be. We don't have to live according to its fleshly passions and desires. We don't have to be like those whose standard living is the whim of the day or whatever's popular for the moment, or whatever is tolerant for the moment, we don't have to follow it. And we don't have to be like those who have no respect for the God of heaven whatsoever. Yes, there's always room for growth and improvement in every child of God. But the best in our lives comes out when we uphold the truth of God and live according to it, that upright and godly life. So we ask, are you stepping up? Are you still walking in the low places of God's grace? The next challenge is to step forward. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we learn from this? We learn that the Christian life is a progressive life. We are always moving forward, growing day by day with a goal in mind. 
And every one of us knows that goal. It is a place called heaven beyond description. That is our goal. We live every day with that in mind. That we must always have that hope. That we must always cling to that hope. And the precious promises that comes with that hope that we can live with God when life is over. Paul said it best to his brethren at Philippi in the third chapter, verse 14. What is it he tells us there? That I have what? That I always press onward, press forward toward the goal of the prize of God in Christ Jesus. A higher calling. A better life on the other side. I am constantly moving in that direction. And we know that Christ has promised us that He will come again. We're not told when, but we're told that He is coming. And we believe it. We believe that He is coming again. That He will, the judgment will arrive one day when it's right. When God has deemed it to be so. We accept that fact. And with enthusiasm and joy, we live every day as if it was our last one on the face of this earth. Because it could very well be as we all well know. We look forward to that reward. We look forward to that day that we step up, as it were, and step forward to a place totally beyond description. That God, as Christ told them, those 12, and that 12 in the upper room, I have gone, I am going away to do what? To prepare a place for you. In other words, I'm going back home to get everything ready for y'all to move in when it is time for that day to happen. This gift of eternal life that God has given through His Son has no price. When Christ asked the question, what does it profit to gain the whole world? What was he meaning? The other side is worth more than all the wealth this world has ever produced. We can't buy it. We don't need a real estate agent to buy us a mansion. Our lives here on earth will prepare us for that place God will give us at the end of all time. The point is this. We ought to, as God's children, look with eagerness for the coming of the Christ. Some would say, are you sure? I want to live longer. That's just being human. But at the same time, as God's children, we ought to look for the coming of Christ with great eagerness, with the blessings and promises that are ours when He does. And if you don't think that's not the case, do not the great majority of our songs that we sing reflect that? Just think of some of the songs that we sing, and do they not reflect within those words an eagerness for the coming of the Christ? Yes, we worship in our songs, in our prayers, Looking for that glorious day. The Apostle Paul 
basically wrote his own epitaph. And it ought to be the epitaph of every child of God. He writes to Timothy for the last time. This is the last book he would write before his death. The difference in this book is in its emotion. You can almost see the tear stains across it as Paul writes this young man for the very last time, knowing that he would never see him again here on earth. But he says to him, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. But he goes on to say, but not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That ought to be the attitude of every child of God. That we look forward to that day when we can hear from him, well done, into the glories of heaven. The last challenge found in those verses in 14, step what we call lively to good works. The Bible speaks a lot about works throughout both the Old and the New Testament. But there is one kind of works that we want to look at that Paul describes here to Titus, and that is what we call good works. These are the ones that follow after one becomes a child of God. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10 it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is this verse simply telling us? Very simple. God has ordained that all Christians perform good works. And as we begin to do the things that we do for Christ and God, using our talents and abilities and opportunities to the best we very can, our hearts ought to be filled with a zeal and excitement and knowing that we have, we're doing things God wants us to do as His children. Now we don't earn or merit God's favor but we work out of gratitude. Let me put it down to some basics here. We all understand this. Mothers, do you take care of them children because you have to or because you want to and love them and it's out of sense of doing it for them? You know the answer. Fathers, when you go to work, do you work because you have to? Or because of the joy of providing for your family so they can have a roof over their head and food on the table and clothes on their back? You do it out of love, don't you? Mothers love their children, they'll take care of them. Fathers love their families, they take care of them. Is that not the same thing? when we look at good works for Christ, we do it because we love Him. And we do it because He loves us. It's not a sense of duty. It is a sense of love in response to what God has done for us. That we in return do the things we do because we want to show God and to our fellow Christians, that we love Him. 
And the only warning that is ever given about these good works was given by the Apostle Paul to his brethren in the province of Galatia. All he said simply was this, don't let yourself get weary in doing the good things. But as you have opportunity, as he said what? Do it all to all people. That was his only warning. Just don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't quit. Continue onward as you go forward. So they ask yourself, are you stepping lively? Are you using the abilities and the talents God has given to you to help further His kingdom with the good works? Which leads us to this question. Which challenging step do you need to take this evening in your walk to eternity? Which is the step you need to take? Is it the step to become a child of God? Is it a step in which you will obey the commands of His and loving obedience to Him that you do that He requires you to become a child of coming, believing that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that God created all things and He died for you? Are you willing to repent? How did Christ say it? Except you repent, you will do what? All likewise perish? Are you willing to confess that He is the Christ? As Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us, This evening, are you willing to step up to become a child of God and have your old man of sin washed away by the blood of Christ in the watery graves of baptism to raise to walk that new life Paul so ably describes in Romans 6? But this evening, if you're a child of God who realizes that you're no longer, your steps are no longer with Christ, you find yourself back in the world and you're walking with it and not walking with God. Here's the opportunity to return home. God's grace is still teaching you, isn't it not? To come back. To return to the fold of safety. To ask God forgiveness. Repent of those things that you've done that are wrong. And ask God's forgiveness. He's promised you that He will. And with His help and the help of your fellow brothers here and sisters here, we can help you walk on that road that leads to heaven once again. That you've strayed from. Think of these things to while together we stand. And while.